I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, the show where celebrities share stories about the foods they love most, and we dig into the history, culture, and science of those meals with experts from around the world. Today on the program, stand-up comedian Moshe Kasher. Moshe co-hosts the Endless Honeymoon podcast with his wife, comedian Natasha Lajaro. He wrote a fantastic memoir several years ago called Kasher in the Rye. The true tale of a white boy from Oakland who became a drug addict, criminal, mental patient, and then turned 16. I was 15 years old when I got out of rehab for the last time. And yesterday, his brand new book was released. Subculture Vulture, a memoir in six scenes. Moshe is one of my favorite comedians. He's also one of the warmest, funniest, most generous, and present conversationalists out there. I think you're really gonna love this interview. Moshe likes to rank things. In the third act of the show, he will rank the world's worst desserts, and in act two, the best way to drink a Diet Coke. We've got can, glass bottle, plastic bottle, fountain, and bar gun. What's your ranking? What's bar gun? You know, from the bar, you go to the, when you don't go to the non-alcoholic. I thought you just had a weird pronunciation of bargain. (laughs) (laughs) What a bargain. And as the child of divorced parents, he talks about how different it was eating at his mom's place in hippie Northern California versus his dad's place in Brooklyn. My summer vacations were spent essentially on the set of Fiddler on the Roof. Hardcore Eastern European Jewish food truly as if it had come out of the shtetl, the pre-war shtetl. If I sound a little bit nasal, it is because I have COVID, but I'm fine. But I'm curious to see how many times I have to stop this recording and blow my nose. All right, let's hop right into my conversation with comedian Moshe Kasher. I have to start by asking you a question about your name. I'm curious about something because... My mom, who grew up in New York, every time she says Moshe, she pronounces it very strangely. And I don't know if it's a New York accent thing, which she doesn't have a super strong accent, or if it's just a case of my mom saying things weird, which happens a lot. She pronounces your name Mershi. I mean, I, you could have given me 10,000 guesses on what you were about to say the pronunciation was, and I would never have gotten to Mershi. <laughs> okay. Uh, to be honest with you, my bravado was so strong. I was about to say it with you, uh-huh. what I thought you were going to say. I thought you very, were going to do that. I was going to do it. And at the very last second, I chickened out, and I'm really glad I did, because it would not have been Mershi. <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? Moisha. Oh, Moisha. Yeah, that's Which more, would be like a more the of a New classic. York Moisha, yeah. Mershi, I don't believe is a New York accent. I believe uh, <laughs> there's no R in there. No. It's a Barbara accent is what it is. You know how Barbara is, though. She oh, does I know. She does things her way. She did, Yeah, she's like, what fast food does that? Burger King? She's, she is the Burger King of podcast hosts' mom. I've, yeah. Everybody says that, by the way, not just me. That's why we call her Barbara King, you know? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now that I have this ammunition to tell her she's wrong about something, which is, you know, just such a nice thing to do to your mother... By the way, she's not just wrong. She's so wrong, it's not really in the realm of uh, of the real world. The way you set that up, it almost sounded like a Yo Mama joke. <laughs> Yo Mama's so wrong, she <laughs> pronounces Moshe Mershi. <laughs> Classic Yo Mama joke. <laughs> I used to do that. To be honest, I would do that very joke on the uh, blacktop playgrounds of Oakland Public Schools in the 80s and 90s. The look of uh, abject confusion on my uh, co-students' faces 
uh, it says it all. They'd say, do you know Barbara from New York? <laughs> they should have known her. We were just down the street in Pleasanton. You know? Are you are you from Pleasanton? Mm-hmm. Again, you could have given me 10,000 guesses where you grew up <laughs> and Pleasanton would never have come up. I worked in Pleasanton. It was my last day job before I became a full-time stand-up comedian. Was at the Sorensen Video Relay Services, a professional sign language interpreter. This is my job from age 16 until I became a full-time stand-up comedian. Center in Pleasanton, California. I know your town well. If you're not familiar with the relay service, it's a way for deaf and hearing people to talk on the phone. For over 100 years after the telephone was invented, deaf people had no way to make a phone call. They couldn't order a pizza or communicate with the 911 operator. But if you call the relay service, deaf and hearing people communicate through an operator. Sometimes it's done using a typing machine called a TTY, but in Moshe's case, he was a translator on video calls. I will tell you, there were some very strange calls that would occur. I remember one call, these two boys were on the phone, and they weren't boys, these were men. These were boys to men. It was the <laughs> R&B group Boys to Men was called. This call was in Motown, Philly. That's right, and yeah. they were back again. Yeah. Um, and they called and they had a very eager look on their faces. I, I, how X-rated is this podcast? Probably not. I'm going to guess it's not. Not. Yeah. I'm gonna, this I'm gonna is a PBS. PBS. <laughs> okay. Let me think of a PBS version of this call. Okay. I think I can do it. All of a sudden they tell me, call the number. So that was my job. I would pick up the phone or press connect and there'd be deaf people and they would be calling some hearing person. And all of a sudden it was recording and it was like, if you want hard bodied babes to talk dirty to you right now, press nine. And you will be connected for only three ninety nine a minute, and that is not what they said. This that was the PBS version of yeah, what they said. Yeah, yeah. So your listener, no. <laughs> so I, I heard that, and my job is to just translate. So I translated that, and they were into it. They were very excited, and I said to them, though I had to lower the boom. I said, "Fellas, I cannot press nine to connect you. I'm not able here at the Sorensen Video Relay Services uh, to pay the bill for your." Um, amorous conversations with hard-bodied babes who are waiting for you right now and <laughs> they they looked back at me and they signed like no 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 we don't want that and i thought oh thank goodness uh these boys they 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 punched in the wrong number in the interface they were trying to call the maytag re repair center in their yeah. local area to get their washing machine fixed this is all a huge misunderstanding and then they signed to me we don't want that we want a woman to come to our home and make love to us. Uh, they didn't say make love. I had a feeling. I you know. yeah. And I said, oh, you mean you mean a prostitute? And they go, yes, that. And so I you said, were a pimp. Well, no, I unfortunately wasn't because I felt bad. You know, my default uh, positioning as a child of deaf adults, both of my parents were deaf, most of my family is deaf. I have an almost uh, innate DNA sense that I must help deaf people wherever they are in need, no matter what, even up to and including connecting them to local sex workers. But I couldn't do it. So I had yeah. to tell them, fellas, I, I do not know any sex workers in your area. I would recommend perhaps looking up escort on Google with your zip code. I still to this day do not know what happened to those two amorous young men. But that was toward the end of my career as a sign language interpreter. Well, at least you got to end with almost a bang. Almost a bang. And <laughs> you know, be proud of that joke, don't you? Barbara. Barbara. Yeah. I call myself a DOB, daughter of Barbara. I'm a Coda and you're a, do a do Dobra. I'm a Dob. Do yeah. Daughter of Barbara Adult. Do <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so going back to your childhood, your parents were divorced. It's not your fault. 
And my mom always screamed the opposite. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I'm your mom now, and I'm telling you the truth. Barbara? Is that I'm you? little Barbara, and I'm here to say it's not your fault in a major way. <laughs> oh, wow. Little Barbara, I didn't know you rapped. This is really cool. <laughs> yeah, my inspiration is uh, the Flintstone Vitamins commercial. Absolutely. That, yeah. I think that's everybody's hip-hop inspiration. I think so, too. Uh, so, yeah, your parents were divorced, and it sounds like you ate very differently at your mom's place and your dad and your stepmom's place. Yeah, my childhood and the, the two sort of subcultures that I cover in the book, which is deafness and ascetic Judaism and Judaism, they really represent the kind of bifurcated sort of schizophrenic nature of, of my childhood. My parents split when I was nine months old and I was raised in Oakland, California uh, with a deaf mother putting herself through graduate school involved in the deaf disability rights movement, the deaf president now movement. She was a board member of the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley. We were ardent hippies. I have seen City Lopper's true colors as told through an interpretive American Sign Language dance with a person that was only partially clothed more times than I would care to admit. <laughs> um, there was a lot of nudity and a lot of hippiness and a lot of mochi, but not the good mochi. I don't know if you remember pre-mochi mochi, but there used no. to be this hippie mochi that was not the fun stuff that you get put on your pink berry when you go in for frozen yogurt. This was sold in the co-op and you'd put it in the oven and it would puff up and it was it was it was sort of like given to us like a treat, like you know, hippie treats were like uh, mochi puffed in the oven with carob chips on top. Oh, carob chips! That was the the cuisine uh, growing up. It was hardcore hippie. You know, in Oakland public schools growing up, I would be the guy with the you know the sack lunch with like grainy multi-grain bread. They hadn't perfected multi-grain bread, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. with like chunky gross peanut butter and a a can of pineapple juice and. Just the most, I, I hated the, the cuisine growing up. It was tempeh before tempeh was tempeh. I mean, I, I was an early adopter to uh, all of the uh, vegan health fans of the day. But you and still like, respect it by calling it cuisine, which is very nice of you. Well, honestly, as I've gotten older, I found myself, I mean, I can't tell you how embarrassing and how much I hated it growing up, but it is much more how I eat today than any other influence that yeah. I've had. And the other big influence in my life was when my dad won visitation rights to see me and I would fly back to Brooklyn to do my summer vacations in Brooklyn. My father had become like a born-again Hasidic Jew and had married a woman from the Satmar community. And the Satmars are, do you know oh. about the Satmars? Well, yeah, I saw unorthodox. Right. So the Satmars are the most hardcore. They're the most hardcore. Yeah. I lucked out, you guys. My dad married in the most hardcore. My summer vacations were spent essentially on the set of Fiddler on the Roof. Um, and that was the cuisine there. It was hardcore Eastern European Jewish food, truly as if it had come out of the shtetl, the pre-war yeah. shtetl. Every Friday you would have a Shabbat and you would have the same dinner. To this day, I remember the smells. It was Friday night, you would the smell of potato kugel cooking in the oven and the smell of burnt challah dough. After the challah would yeah. come the gefilte fish. Now gefilte fish, what do you think about gefilte fish? I actually love gefilte fish. I grew yeah. up with the jarred one, which I loved, and with now that jelly? I make my own, and I love that one too. You eat that jelly? No, but my dad does, and it's the only thing that makes me, like, I could start gagging. Yeah. It's, it's really gross. Gross. You want to know who used to eat the jelly? The only member of our family who used to eat the jelly? You. No, not me. My stepsister. Can you guess her name? Barbara. Barbara. Would, <laughs> she would mack on the jelly. I mean, she would slop it on. I mean, the jelly, just so you know, for your listeners, first of all, gefilte fish, the actual product is pretty disgusting. But the stuff that it's packed in 
it's beyond disgusting. It's like a fish gelled consummate. Do you like a fish. fish? I love a gefilte fish. Okay. With horseradish? I, like I love it. Yes. Give yeah. me that. Give me that beat. Pilot high. I'm in. And yes. by the way, I don't want homemade stuff. I want the I want the jar stuff. Yeah. I, I need that processed carb. That's what I always said too. And then I made it for the first time. There's this really good, well, this is actually the only thing I've ever made from it. Do you know the book, Gefilteria? It's really good. I found out about that and I like the, what they're doing. But I do think the name Gefilteria calls to mind other things. <laughs> just aria as a suffix. I don't want that anywhere near. I would rather, let me just tell you, I would rather eat gelled consomme from a jar of gefilte fish than eat a dish with aria at the end of it. Okay. <laughs> that word is honestly my least favorite word. So much so that I make my best friend call it mud buns because I hate it. <laughs> It has no, no connection to bun. It's not even, it's so unbun-like what you're talking about. I it's know, the opposite of bun. That helps keep it from being so visceral, you know? It's yeah, like sure, veiled, sure, but, like, sure. Buns are so cute, you know? I would maybe go with puddle, but let's move on because I understand that your listeners are probably not into what we're doing now. Now, so you can't have two Jews without talking about poop. So that's oh, absolutely. Thing. We developed, we developed, um, uh, a little bit of OCD, a little bit of germophobia, and a lot of IBS. Like, <laughs> IBS is our religion. We are very scatological and we love it. I be scatological. Yeah. <laughs> so after gefilte fish, which I do love. Yeah, um, that's the girl. Next we come chicken soup, a classic Jewish chicken soup, and I can smell it. I can almost taste it right now. It's the greatest chicken soup in the world. Celery and carrots. And these perfect little noodles and we put soup nuts. Mm. Did you ever have soup nuts? Yes. The Osem brand. Yes. Osem soup nuts. Indeed. Yes. indeed. White pepper yes. on top. Osem soup nuts piled high. Um, and that would be that would be the soup course. Then comes stewed chicken with a slice of potato kogel and some Costco varnishkas right next yeah. to that, which are a bow tie pasta with a little bit of buckwheat and sauerkraut. And then for the finale was chalant. That is my my truly my favorite, my most loved dish. Did you eat chalant growing up? I had cholent once in San Francisco at my mom's friend's house, Rose and Yossi. And I don't know if hers just wasn't good. I wasn't a picky child. I hated it. Hated it. So I've never tried it since. It's never really come up since. I remember it had hard-boiled eggs in it and that it oh, yeah. smelled very hard-boiled eggy. I don't it's know. It's not beautiful. I would say it does have a look of mud buns about it, <laughs> but it is to me the most delicious childhood food memory that I've got. Mm. The smell of cholent, it's like a beef stew, but it's not watery. It's got barley and eggs sometimes. Potatoes that have been cooked for so long, they're like black and they'll just fall apart. Wow. If you even touch a fork to it, it'll just like slice through. They're brown. Black sounds bad. Beef, just like a stewed kind of brisket that's kind of falling apart. Yeah. Sometimes a carrot or two. If you're really a gangster, now if you're really in the IBS zone, um, <laughs> you will you will get what is called um, kishka. This is a side dish, but it's it's cooked in the slow cooker with the chala. And a kishka is like a beef intestine. Now let me just say, Eastern European Jewish food both sounds disgusting and oftentimes is. And every time I try to explain why I love chala so much, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. But but I, I know this doesn't sound appealing, but I gotta tell you, it really is. It's like stick to your ribs delicious. It's a beef intestine with flour and schmaltz, chicken fat, and it's a starch, but it tastes like a meat. And I 
I could eat a I could eat a bowl of it right now. I want to try it. My only reference to Kishka is I always think of uh, in Waiting for Guffman. Remember when uh, Eugene Levy's character sings, my bubby made a Kishka? I always think about that. I thought you were going to say your only reference to it is um, thinking of kicking someone right in. Oh, right in the Kishka. Right in the Kishka, <laughs> right which I guess means kick you in the stomach. But it sounds like it's a little more genital focused. But no, I think your Kishkas are, are your guts. I'm going to kick you in the guts. In the Kishka, Yeah. That is a big, big meal. And it's interesting that you end with this big like beef. It seems like you would be so full by the time you got to that. Well, there, then there's dessert, by the way. Oh, yeah. What's for dessert? Now, dessert is also an odd offering. And this is the only time that my two childhoods overlapped. The dessert offering, this is way pre-veganism as a popular way to eat. with chocolate cuties. We had chocolate cuties, too. Yeah. And I have a, I love a chocolate cutie. I got to say. It really so is good. good. They really are good. But if you're old school, if you're IBS focused, what I remember more fondly even than the Tofuli Cutie is fruit soup. Have you ever had that? No. Fruit soup is literally, it literally is that. It's a cold soup and it had plums and apricots and cherries. And it was a soup served in a bowl that you'd eat yeah. with a spoon. And I think she put an egg in it because it had a mildly kind of maybe an egg white it had a mildly creamy kind of feeling to it uh-huh um and it was super refreshing and super delicious it feels like in our current hipster landscape it's a little odd that n- nobody has tried to rec- reclaim the fruit soup i would eat a fruit soup at alenia and i would eat a fruit soup at the shabbos table yes This is the first time I've met someone else who grew up eating Tafuti Cuties. Tafuti Cuties are dairy-free ice cream sandwiches with a very cute name. They look and taste just like a classic ice cream sandwich. Vanilla ice cream sandwiched between two little rectangles of soft chocolate cookie that stick to the back of your teeth. Moshe's family ate them because kosher law forbids having a meal with both dairy and meat. So if you have chicken at dinner, you'll have to have non-dairy ice cream for dessert. My family has never been kosher, but I started to wonder if my mom bought Tafuti Cuties because they were a Jewish thing. So it was started by David Mintz, a man who was an Orthodox Jew, and the myth goes that he had received a blessing from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. It's like a spiritual leader, but sort of, sort of like a guru. So that I love that that's just like built into the story of Tofudi. That's Esther Werdiger, art director at Tablet Magazine and contributor to Tablet's very fun book, The 100 Most Jewish Foods. I actually wrote two entries in the book. One was Tofudi and one was tuna fish. Tuna fish I am deeply passionate about and might be up there with like last meal type foods. Tofudi was just such a fixture of my childhood and I think speaks to a very specific demographic. Orthodox Jews don't mix meat and dairy. So if you've eaten meat, you wait six hours before you can have dairy again. But if you have a non-dairy dessert, loophole, fantastic. And when I was young, tofuti was still quite novel. It was exciting. It was imported. It's American. I grew up in Australia. And you would buy it from a kosher grocery store. It would be like a post-Friday night dessert. Aha. So tofuti is Jewish. They had like chocolate-covered vanilla ice cream on a stick. They were called Marry Me, I guess because they were so good. And they did on the cover, it had a photo of like Jewish bride and like chair dance, Jewish wedding themed. What else has that? Nothing. It's as important, if not more maybe, as 
what it actually tasted like. It's so iconic. Okay, that's really interesting because I emailed Tofuti to see Uh if the company would do an interview to tell their story. They opted not to because they have decided not to promote the brand as a Jewish product anymore. Let me see. Let me just find the email. I'll just read it to you. I was really surprised by this. Yeah, me too. Where's your Jewish bride, Tofuti? I know. I know. Not anymore. I guess, you know, now that there is such a demand for vegan products, right? So I guess they have a they have a much bigger market now and Jews maybe are in the minority of that. You nailed it exactly. He said, we're going to pass on this. Our CEO would be the only one here that can get into the Jewish roots of the company. And he's not looking to do that. We've rebranded to accurately reflect our major markets, dairy-free vegan. So the kosher market isn't something we actively promote to. I thought that was very interesting. It is interesting. And it also, um, it throws us under the bus a little bit because I feel like you want to a little bit give credit to where credit's due because I do feel like it's such a reliable market. It's OG market a little bit. I understand if they've rebranded in their marketing to vegan and dairy-free, but the fact that they don't even want to tell the story of the Jewish roots, that actually bummed me out because I thought, why not just tell the story? Yes, that's it is very interesting. I wonder. And then you also got to worry about like, you know, was this at all influenced by like rising anti-Semitism or the conflict right now? It's like taking off your yarmulke in public or something like that. Or maybe they felt like it might alienate potential customers. I don't want to get political at all, but I do wonder. Tafudi's founder passed away in 2021 and the company recently rebranded all of its products different colors, different fonts, and the Marry Me bars with the Jewish bride and groom on the box being lifted up in celebratory chairs, that product no longer exists. After the break, Moshe reveals his last meal, and producer Isaac and I do a side-by-side Coca-Cola taste test. What would your last meal be? Oh, my last meal. It's so, that's so difficult. I know that's literally the, what this um, podcast is. Can I take a bite from multiple things? Oh yeah. I'm it's de- your meal. You can have whatever you want. You know what? I'm definitely taking a bite of chalot, hundred percent. I'm definitely going to go out the way I came in. I used to eat chalot instead of baby food. Actually, my mother used to nurse me on chalot and uh, <laughs> filter fish uh, gelled consomme. I'm taking a bite of chalot. I'm taking a bite of of a burrito from Gordo's Taqueria in uh, Berkeley, California. Uh, bean and cheese, extra hot sauce, uh, extra guacamole, extra pico de gallo. To be honest with you, I could probably do away with everything else and say I would just do a Gordo's bean and cheese, extra Ooh. pico de gallo, extra hot sauce. Uh, that would be my my ultimate. Yeah, you know what? That is to me the greatest. And I'm gonna have a donut for dessert because I think the donut is the ultimate the ultimate of all desserts. And I'm not talking a Jewish donut. Just so if you people think I'm like some sort of ideologue over here and I'm talking about souf gagno, no, get no out of here with gagnot. that. Yeah. Get out of here with that. I, in fact, I would say Eastern European Jewish desserts are, with the exception of fruit soup on a nostalgia level, I would say they are bad. Oh, you know what I'm doing for, for a drink? What? I'm, I'll do a Diet Coke because I stopped drinking Diet Coke when the FDA said that aspartamine or whatever was a cancer yeah. causer, something that we all already knew. But somehow the FDA, who I love and cherish more than I love the uh, mosaic tradition of my ancestors, they made me stop drinking Diet Coke and my life has been diminished. It is not as fun. 
and I am over here drinking sparkling water and crap like that. And all I want is a Diet Coke. I want a Diet Coke. There's a hierarchy of Diet Coke preparations. You guys ready? I have a guess. Okay, I want to hear it. Do you put a lemon in yours? Well, no, yes. I mean, obviously, yes, that's delicious, but you okay. misunderstood what I was saying, but I oh, want your guess. But no, 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 it's because I wasn't being clear. There is a hierarchy of preparations for Diet Coke. That is to say, we've got can, glass bottle, plastic bottle, fountain, and bar gun. What's your ranking? What's bar gun? You know, from the bar. You go to the... Oh, when you don't bar, go to the oh, bar gun. I thought you just had a weird pronunciation of bargain. <laughs> <laughs> what the bar gun? <laughs> Yeah, you don't speak Yiddish, but you speak old country. What a bargain. <laughs> That's what I say when I go to a bar and I ask for that. I go, wow, man, what a bargain. <laughs> um, I, okay, I don't have much of a hierarchy because I don't drink soda very, very rarely. But when I did, the glass bottle was always the best, partially because when I was a kid, I just thought it was nostalgic and it seemed like something that Dennis the Menace did. And I thought it was really fun to have a bottle. Uh, the plastic bottle is my least favorite. Really? I would say glass bottle, bargon. Bargon is with, number two. With good ice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know if I have a preference between bargon and the fountain Rachel, drink. Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. I know I, I have I so much you. to learn. No, I have liked you a lot up until this point in our conversation. Uh-huh. You saying there's no difference between bargon between our whole our people's holy bargain and the fountain is it's just disappointing that's all no i know that you don't you're not mad at me but you're just disappointed that's right me yeah. and barbara are very disappointed in who you've become <laughs> uh yes okay so you say glass bottle bargain uh fa- bargain fountain wait i'm gonna switch i'm going glass bottle very cold can Okay. Um, a tie between bargain and fountain bargain. because bargain I'm an idiot and I don't uh, know the difference. <laughs> um, and then I think plastic bottle. Is that all that was and, left? Uh, yep. You, that's that's a ranking. It's wrong, but it is a ranking, and I appreciate you participating. Thank you so much. What is your ranking? I would say my correct ranking is fountain, number one fountain, <laughs> number two glass bottle, <laughs> number three. I'm now French. I went from Yiddish to French. Uh, next is plastic bottle. Next is can. And okay. finally, at the very, very bottom of the rankings, it is bargon. Bargon is the bottom. Well, it's the bargon basement. It's it is the in bottom. the basement of yes. the bottom. <laughs> I think that the plastic bottle makes things taste flat and more warm. I hear what you're saying, and I understand that. Uh, I think that the flavor profile of the fountain, oh, it's got that rich, rich, juicy syrup in it. You know, yeah. if you get it right, if you get it yeah. right, oh, that can be a real delight. The bargun, the problem with it, often extremely flat and often they're all mm. out of mix. And I need that yeah. mix. Oh, my God. I love a ranking. That was fun. As someone whose annual soda consumption consists of two sips of a friend's Coke at the movie theater, I did not feel educated enough to properly rank the deliciousness of soda through the lens of the container it came in. Check, check, one, two, bubbles, bubbles, effervesce. Bubbles, bubbles, effervesce. (laughs) (laughs) That looks good. So my producer, Isaac Kaplan-Wolner, came over and we did a side-by-side taste test. And we had initially talked about trying to do this blind but you rightly pointed out it seems important to have them in their 
container that they came in. Yeah, because it affects the taste if you're drinking out of a can or if you're drinking out of a straw. Right before we started taping, I went to a nearby bar and a fast food drive-through so the Coke would be at peak carbonation. We have McDonald's Fountain Coke. And then, unfortunately, we have the Bargon Coke that is not Coke because they didn't have Coke. It's like a local brand. A different cola. <laughs> but you could say that the Mexican Coke is different as well. So it's not totally equal. That's true. Stone. The ingredients yeah. differ. And Moshe Kasher is into Diet Coke, but we're doing full fat today. Full fat Coke. Before we started officially tasting... My predicted ranking is bottled Mexican Coke, uh, Fountain McDonald's Coke... I guess maybe the the local not Coke Cola from the bar gun, can of Coke, and at the bottom, plastic bottle of Coke. All right, I'm going to take a sip. We started with the glass bottle of Mexican Coke, which uses real cane sugar instead of high fructose corn syrup. Let's do the can next. It's such a good sound. I think that's why I like the can. Let's do the plastic bottle. I think I'm going to need to burp. I feel so many bubbles in my chest. <clears throat> Let's do the McDonald's. The straw sound. Mmm. I'm impressed that the McDonald's cup is all compostable. That's nice. Are you ready for the last one? I'm ready. Okay. So I went into my favorite bar in the whole city, Hattie's Hat, and I brought in my Stanley mug because it keeps things super cold. And the dude was really nice and he gave it to me for free. So this might taste better because it was free. For the record, I did try to go to another bar to get a real Bargon Coke, but nothing else in the area was open at 10 in the morning. All right, let's get to the final rankings. My favorite is the can. I think the can is really fizzy, and I think that the can keeps it extra cold. The way that it just goes down your throat just feels so refreshing. I was surprised that the plastic wasn't as bad as I thought. I always think of plastic as just being kind of warm and flat. I thought it was very similar to the can. The Mexican Coke has a good flavor, but it wasn't as effervescent as I wanted it to be. This is hard. I think I would go can, I hate to say this, plastic bottle, glass bottle, McDonald's fountain drink, and then last, Bargon. Yeah, the can is my top pick here. I think it's the quality of the bubbles, too. They're mm -hmm. like the smallest and most effervescent, and I really like the bubbles. I like holding the cold can. I like taking a sip from the can. Second was the plastic bottle, to my surprise, similar to the can and not ruined by the plasticiness somehow. Third was McDonald's, like the straw, like the coldness on the ice. The Mexican, to my surprise, the Mexican Coke was the fourth place. I think this is a flat bottle. They're usually fizzier. I don't know why, if this one has lost its gas along the road north. <laughs> like that sentence. <laughs> I have lo not lost my gas upon the road north. <laughs> it is really flat. With this particular glass bottle, I felt nothing. <laughs> Emotionally. <I feel> nothing. <laughs> 
spiritually, sexually, <laughs> nothing. I went in thinking that was going to be my favorite, and it is not. I yeah. mean, the bubbles seem to matter maybe more than the type of sugar in it. And then my last was the bar gun, bar gun. It's flat and doesn't have like a fullness, a roundness, yeah. which is probably like an insane amount of sugar or whatever chemicals mm-hmm. the Coca-Cola Corporation puts into their soda. But I changed mine. I'm exactly same ranking as you. I was surprised by this. I think you'll be very happy to know that I did burp during this experiment. My burp was recorded and I didn't play it for you. I think I'm growing up. Is this what you call maturity? After the break, Moshe explains why he no longer eats his favorite burrito in all of Los Angeles, and he drops his hot takes on which countries have the worst desserts. The results may surprise you. For his last meal, Moshe Kasher wants a Diet Coke, a donut, and a bean and cheese burrito with extra hot sauce, guacamole, and pico de gallo from Gordo Taqueria in Berkeley, a place that opened in San Francisco in 1977 and now has five locations around the Bay Area. I was hoping burritos would come up because if you're from the Bay Area, you have a take on burritos. And I was curious, you live in L.A. now, you grew up in the Bay Area, what is your take on L.A. style burritos? Um, I would say by and large, they are bad. And I know that this is going to get me canceled. I know cancel culture is coming for me, you know, and it always has been coming for me. Uh, but it's not L.A.'s fault. L.A. is not a burrito town. It's a taco town. Yes. Tacos in L.A. are better than they, than tacos in the Bay Area. Burritos in the Bay Area are better than uh, burritos here. Yeah. However, I do have an L.A. burrito story to and this connects right back to Judaism. And I know you're, the folks listening were like, can we talk more about that culture? <laughs> yes, we can. Is this Are Steve you... Martin starring in L.A. Burrito Story? <laughs> I found a burrito in L.A. that I like. And it wasn't because it was a, a Bay Area burrito. As you know, the Bay Area burrito is the mission style burrito. It's yeah. packed. It's solid. It's like a log. It's like, it, you know, it's just it couldn't be more dense. Right. And the burrito in L.A., it's soft. It's kind of soft and soggy. Yeah. It refried-y. It's got lettuce in it for some unknown reason. They do that in NorCal, too. You have to say no lechuga. You got to get in there. I don't know. I, it has not been my experience. But in L.A., every single one, they'll have the coquita cheese in there. and say, I don't know what they're doing. Gordo, you know what they do at Gordo? What? They put the tortilla into a steamer before they start to yes. build your burrito. Yes. G- give me that. Give yeah. me that. That, that is what I want. velvety and pliable. That's my favorite, too. The greatest. The gr- I don't need you to grill the burrito, even though I do love a grilled burrito from El Farolito in the Mission. That is a yeah. delicious burrito. El Pastor uh, from the times before uh, I stopped eating pork. I do miss that a great deal. But I found a burrito in L.A. I wonder if it's my burrito in L.A. that I found. I wonder it wasn't that I found it because it was so similar to mm-hmm. um, to the Barrett. It was, in fact, so L.A. It went all the way around and became like delicious in its own category of thing. Yeah. It's from a place called Allen B's. Allen B's is like a classic old like Chicano, by which I mean like Mexican American uh stand. Like I think it's a multi-generation. There's a house connected to it. It's a really cool place in Boyle Heights. There's How do you a house spell connected it? to it. Al A L and B's. 
Oh, I went uh, there. And beef. Okay, so you've been there. They've got a <laughs> yes. hot dog. They've got a hot dog burrito. It's like yeah. very American greasy spoon. Like, so they had a bean and cheese burrito. That's that what was. I got. It's the most unbelievable thing in the universe, and it's not missiony. It's like having soup. It's like yes. there's soup inside of a tortilla. It's only the Aztec gods themselves could be keeping the cohesion of this tortilla connected. The cheese is cheddar, and you can choose your hot sauce, red or green. Green, I believe, is being cooked and hot. It's literally warm. Yeah. Red is from a... For, I would get both. That's um, what I got. Yeah. What did you think? I thought it was good. I thought it was good, but we did a little crawl, and it wasn't the favorite of all of them. Yeah. Well, listen, to me, it was like a divine thing. And every Sunday, I would drive down to Allenby's with my wife, and we would get an Allenby's burrito. And, I, and I'm like, I'm talking to my Jewish friend, Louis Cap. He's an LA native. I go, that bean and cheese burrito. I don't know what it is, but it's so unbelievably good. It's like mana from the heavens. It's so flavorful and delicious. And he's looking at me and he's like, you don't know what it is? It's pork. It is pork. Oh, the lard and the it beans. Is pork. And I'm like, and I look to the heavens. I'm like, no, why would you tell me that? And we called Alan B's and they like very sheepishly were like, yeah, it's pork. It's lard. Oh, no. But in retrospect, it's like, well, first of all, I don't ever want to know what I'm saying. Ignorance truly is bliss when it comes yeah. to burritos. But second of all, what kind of an idiot am I to think that somehow a taco burrito stand in Boyle Heights has done some magic to the bean <laughs> where suddenly the bean itself is an intrinsically delicious proposition? I must have known deep inside, somewhere deep inside of myself, there's no way I bite into a literal pile of refried beans and go, Oh my God, what is this that doesn't have a pig it's involved? bay leaves. That's what gives it the flavor. <laughs> it's a little bit of paprika. No, yeah. it's definitely pig fat. Is that a hoof? I'll take that loaf on top as well. Is that a cloven hoof? Yes, I'll eat that. That must be vegan, right? Is that a clo vegan cloven hoof? You said that you're not very religious. Are you kosher? Is that why you don't eat pork? I mean, it's such a complicated thing. Okay, when I turned 20, my father uh, got sick and died. I was already looking for a way to cut out like most of the meat for my diet mm -hmm. in my life. And I thought, what better way to honor kind of what I want dietarily and what I am culturally than to say, I'll just take non-kosher meat out of my life. Mm. And it serves the function of making me eat meat, specifically red meat, two or three times a year. It did what I wanted. I eat much less meat and I think that's good for my health. I'm not a religious Jew, although I know people are going to think that I am based on what I'm saying. I'm not. And if I'm being honest, I like the discipline of sacrifice. You feel like you're living a more, I guess, purposeful life. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. There's okay. something to that. Just like a meal ends with dessert, we're going to wrap up Moshe's interview with dessert. I think that not only are Eastern European desserts largely pretty bad, I'm going to go ahead and say all desserts are pretty bad other than American, America, America, the greatest desserts on in the world. Okay. Yeah. French. Okay, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the French their just desserts. Yeah, uh, and sometimes British. Okay, I like a banoffee pie. I mean, who doesn't like a banoffee pie? It's banana it's and toffee mushed into one word. Yeah, I love mean, a portmanteau. Yum. That is a good situation. I love a date cake. Don't bring me a figgy pudding. I'm not a Dickensian character, yeah. and nobody wants her figgy pudding <laughs> even at Christmas time. But the British do pretty good. 
The fourth would be Italian, but it's way down. They got some bangers. They got a lot of dust cookies. And I'm married to an Italian woman and she gets uh, cookies sent to her. Oh, yeah. The cookies from the Italian groceries, they're not good. No. And those are very similar to Jewish cookies. Jewish cookies are bad. Just in case you think I'm like ethnocentric or whatever, I think I'd rather have Italian than Jewish, but none of them are good. Oh, cannoli? Get out of here with that. You get out of here with the cannoli. I I don't want a cannoli ever, ever in life. Now, gelato is pretty dang good. A panna cotta? I guess that's Italian. Oh, I love that too. Yeah. I can't say that that's not good. But in aggregate, I'm going to say Italian fourth. And then everything else, it's just a lump of not that great. I lived in Japan for a year. I like some Japanese desserts, but they come at me with a bean dessert. Don't come at me with a bean dessert. I love a little bean dessert in the mochi. No, you don't. You think you do because it feels culturally good to do it. A bean dessert, a bean, (laughs) beans, sweet beans. That if you go to Japan, you can have the greatest French dessert, the greatest Italian dessert, the greatest American. They will outdo every single version of the dessert. Yes, mochi and ice cream is delicious. Obviously, that's a delicious dessert. Listen, is Thai uh, mango sticky rice, is that one of the great desserts oh, of all time? It is. I uh, love yes. that. I'm not yes. going to take that away. But what's the second best Thai dessert? I no don't one know knows. one. No one does. No, I'm sure a <laughs> Thai person knows if we go to Taiwan. But you can't get on the board with one dessert. You can't. You just can't. <laughs> Let's do a little speed round. Let's do it. A speedy one. Okay. What is your perfect birthday cake? Uh, princess cake. Easy. What's a princess cake? Princess cake is a bo- like a Russian kind of bomb cake. It's a, oh, a layer yeah. of marzipan, a layer of jam, a layer of uh, of um, of cream, and then cake layer, layer, layer. And I love it. The more marzipan, the better. The more purple, the better. As you know, when it comes to my birthday. I do not need a man's cake. I need a princess's. <laughs> what is on the outside? I've seen them. Is it fondant or it's is that the marzipan? marzipan. Okay. Yeah, that's the marzipan. Uh, that is my favorite cake. But as I've gotten older, I believe I've become, I used to be a cakeman, and I have turned into a pieman. Ooh, a pieman. What's your favorite pie? I'm going to go with, uh, I love a cherry with a crumble on top, or I love an apple with a crumble on top. I like a lemon meringue. I like a chocolate cream. I like a banana oh, yeah. cream. A banana cream? Come on. I'm curious if you could turducken any group of foods and make your own turducken, what you would choose, because I had this thing that I've decided on called the balzanza. That is a meatball that's baked into a slice of lasagna that is then wrapped in an entire pizza. Oh, oh, that sounded that sounded actually pretty good right there. I think just to keep on theme with the episode, I'm going to have to go with the chorito. And that's just a Gordo's burrito with a big sloppy pile of chalant rolled up in it <laughs> to bring all of my worlds together. And that was Moshe Kasher's last meal. Well, that is my last question. Mershi, thank you so much for we, being on the show. We did it. This has been a pleasure. I'm hungry now and I'm excited about what I'm going to eat next. What are you going to eat next? I'm going to eat a new copy of the book Subculture Vulture, available right now. Yes. Uh, I probably this evening am going to, speaking of shrimp, it's my stepfather's birthday. Is he small? He is a sh- <laughs> we bully him and we push him <laughs> around and it's pretty great. We stuff him into a locker. No, it's his birthday and um, me, myself and my rabbi brother are going to take him to a shrimp dinner because that is his favorite food. And so we, nice. will, look, we will look longingly at our, our culinary past. Well, have fun at the Sizzler, and it was it was really fun chatting with you. This was awesome. Same here. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye.
Bye. Pick up Moshe's new book, Subculture Vulture, a memoir in six scenes. The book is broken down into six of the subcultures he's belonged to ever since getting sober at 15 years old. And those are AA and 12 Steps, Raves. I was an ecstasy dealer and DJ and a sober ecstasy dealer, by the way. Had the rave promoter in the 90s, Burning Man, where I worked for over 15 years. Hasidic Judaism and Judaism, which is sort of the DNA of where I come from. Deafness and sign language interpreting, which we talked about a little bit. Uh, stand-up comedy. And so that's the book. So culture vulture. Thanks to Esther Wardiger, art director at Tablet Magazine. Um, let's go back to Cholent just for a second, because that actually happens to be one of Moshe's favorite foods. And Oh my God, I'm making one tomorrow. You are. He was this close Watch to making- Watch the I love you. Your last meal was created, hosted, and produced by me. Producing assistance and mastering by Isaac Kaplan-Wilner. And Sarah Bernard pieced this episode together like a jigsaw puzzle. Your Last Meal is a product of Seattle's Cascade Public Media. Original theme music by Prom Queen. If you're not already, make sure you're following along on Instagram. I'm Hello Rachel Bell. Go to yourlastmealpodcast.com if you want to send me a message or have an idea for a guest or if you want to be a sponsor on the show. And you can sign up for my free newsletter, rachelbell.substack.com. That is where I will announce events and giveaways and more. Does it seem like my voice sounds less sick now than it did at the beginning of the episode? Oh, sweet COVID isolation. This is probably more than I have talked to anyone in several days. The good news is I have had all of this time to cook. If you listen to the episode a couple back in my feed where I was a guest on Desert Island Dishes, I talked about the fact that my family invented the bagel dog and I have wanted to make them for years because that company is long gone. Because of COVID and the time that I've had at home, I did recreate them and they are so good. If you want to make them, just look up the New York Times recipe for Montreal style bagels and then wrap the dough around your favorite hot dog. Extra bonus points if you use a kosher beef hot dog, follow my newsletter. I'm going to post the recipe that I used and some very poorly lit photos. rachelbell.substack.com. I thought they were so good that for a second, I honestly considered opening a bagel dog shop called Bagel Doggies. Wouldn't that be cute? I'm Rachel Bell, and this is your last meal. I read Cash and the Rye, and I was like, oh my God, we're both Jews from the Bay Area who like Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm starting to hate the theme of my podcast because I want to ask you so many things that are irrelevant to the theme of my podcast. Well, listen, I ate. Here's the truth. I ate the whole time. You did? I ate oh my God, in perfect. every world I embodied. I <laughs> munched a bunch. Okay, what? What happened? Sorry, I just saw, I looked outside and I saw my cat trying to climb up a tree. Can I just go grab her really fast? Of course, go ahead. One second. I don't want the fire department to come. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, right, okay, you wait. go. This is like the burpiest morning ever.